extraordinary message. This is not like the charlatans that Paul has just addressed. Remember, verses 1 through 12, we talked about it, and in previous passages, what's Paul doing? Some believe he's kind of giving a defense because after he was ran out of town, some of those troublemakers tried to stir up more problems and say, oh, those guys were nothing more than like the rest of them charlatans that came through here, just peddling a message, trying to make some money. It's no different than the other pagan uh, babbling and other false religions and all that other junk that, that has come to this hub. Because remember, they're right off the Ignatia Way, this big Roman road that came through from east to west, and vice versa. It was a place where the where you know city life was happening. Paul and Timothy and Silas, they're no different. And that's why Paul says, look... You remember how we were. That's why he spends those first two chapters identifying his testimony. You remember. You know. You remember how we were when we were with you. You know that we toiled night and day. I worked making tents with my own hands. I didn't ask any money from you. And that silenced those troublemakers. See, Paul understood that the gospel was the truth, that it was God's word. And therefore, he needed to proclaim it. He needed to share it. He was compelled. He was motivated because he understood this to be true. It's the Word of God. And, and it's interesting because you notice here it says, when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. The word received. The idea is that they heard it. They heard it. But the idea of they welcomed it. There's another word there. Some of your translations may also say they received it. But it's the idea of welcoming it. It's as if there's someone coming to your house and you're expressing hospitality. And you welcome them in. You receive them in. And in the, in the original Greek here, it's, it's easily understood that what Paul is saying is, <clears throat> not only did you hear the message, you heeded it. And church, my fear is that so oftentimes we come into this building Sunday after Sunday and we just hear it. We just hear the Word of God. But we don't heed it. Paul's trying to tell these Thessalonican believers, he says, look, you didn't just hear this Word. You, you knew, number one, this is the Word of God. Church, I want you to know that what I am proclaiming this morning is from the Word of God. This is not my message. This is God's message. Peter says, hey, when you speak, if you speak, speak as the oracles of God. In other words, when I stand before you, I don't want to just give you my opinions because my opinions aren't worth too much. But what I do want to share with you is God's Word, God's truth. And you have a responsibility just like those Bereans we learned about, to search out what I say, to see if what I say is true. And if it is true, to God be the glory. It's His message. It's interesting because when you see this passage and you go a little closer, you see Paul being thankful, number one, to God without ceasing because they, they not only heard the Word of God, but they welcomed it. And not as if it were for man, but as it is, in truth, the Word of God. Which also 
works effectively in you who believe. Here's the difference, church. Here's the difference between coming to church and hearing a message and going home and coming to church and heeding a message and going home. When we recognize that God is giving a message to us, He's giving us encouragement, He's giving us strength, He's giving us daily bread for spiritual sustenance, He's giving us spiritual air to breathe, and we allow that to sink in beyond our head to our heart, and we respond to it, that has transforming properties. That enables us to live out our Christian faith. We come and gather here not just to go through a hoop and say, I did my service for the week, I'm done with God, set my Bible aside. That's not what a Christian life is about. We spiritually come together to encourage one another to be built up in our faith and to heed the Word of God. And if we'll heed the Word of God, it transforms us, it changes us, it changes our thinking, it changes the way we live. And that's what happened here in Thessalonica. How do I know that? Well, Paul's already told us. Flip back over to the uh, first uh, chapter 1. He says in verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, Paul's already told them. He's reminded them. They know. They've experienced this life-changing message. They recognize this is not the Word of man. This is the Word of God. And it's so impacted my life. It has so found root in my heart that it has caused me to turn from my idols and turn from the sins that I used to be so entrapped with to the true and living God. And it's the same living God who's given us His living Word. That Bible you hold, that's no ordinary book. That's not just some old, archaic piece of literature. That is God-breathed. That is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And it gives us life. It gives us spiritual life. And if we'll not just hear it, but we'll heed it, It will transform our lives. It will turn us from the things, the sins that so easily beset us. And so Paul wants them to know, guys, when I wrote to you, you know, when I came to you, when I preached amongst you, first I thank God, praise God, you didn't just think this was like all these other other, uh, charlatans. You didn't think this was just a message from some other man trying to make a fast buck. No, you, you recognized that what was being shared is truth. And it's that same word, it's that same message that has the ability to transform your life and continue to work in your life 
to conform you to the image of His Son. And that's the sanctification that should be happening in the life of all believers. And the only way you and I will grow and be sanctified is by the Word of God. Jesus spoke of it in John 15 when He said, Father, Your Word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. And this is how we'll find our way. And so Paul's saying, look, for you, brethren... um, You became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. We get in verse 14 to 16, the wrath of God. Now, here it starts off, and and, and he's kind of just saying, look, you know, uh, and you'll remember if if you look back in the context of all he's talked about already, he said, look, first off, be an imitator of me. Paul said, do you remember how I was among you? Do as I do. And as Christ Jesus, you know, ultimately that's what Paul's pointing them to. But he, he, he knows he lived in such a way, and you remember I challenged us all on this, God challenged us all on this in the beginning about how important it is for us to live an example, to live as an example. That others might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. But we're to be Christ-like. We're to follow the example of Christ. And Paul's already spoken to the... Thessalonican believers about that. Now he says not only imitators of Paul, imitators of Christ, but imitators of the church in Judea. Well, what had happened over there? Well, think about it. Day of Pentecost, and and you think about God adding into the church. uh, And and so here are all these believers, and then persecution began to arise, and they suffered much. And Paul goes into not only, hey, don't think this strange, Don't think this is crazy, something odd and wild is going on. Because he says that uh, not only uh, did they suffer, but also think about Christ Jesus. Think about them. Think about him. Think Think about what Christ Jesus did for you. Also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. Who? Christ, the church in Judea, the prophets... Notice verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Why? Because they didn't want to accept the Jesus of the Scriptures. They had a Jesus of their own imagination. There's a lot of groups today in the world that have a different Jesus than the Jesus of Scripture. Think about it. These Jewish folks in Judea, they had the prophets. The prophets for years were proclaiming the oracles of God. They had the scrolls that they would study in the synagogues, and they knew what the Messiah, according to thus saith the Lord, would be like. But yet, when he stood in their midst, he was not the Jesus that they wanted. They wanted a political Jesus. They wanted a Jesus to overthrow Rome. They wanted a Jesus that would establish their kingdom right then and there. A suffering Jesus? A God in the flesh who, who was humble and meek and, and, and willing to be beaten and spit upon and ridiculed and mocked? No, no, no. That's not the Jesus those Judeans wanted. 
And yet, again, we find ourselves even today. Well, I don't believe God's like that. I don't believe God will send somebody to hell. I, I don't think God uh, is against homosexuality. I, I don't think God cares if, if, if we live together before marriage. What are they doing? They're doing the same thing these Judeans did, these Jews did. They're creating a God in their own image that suits them. Instead of looking at the God of Scripture... It may make them feel better. And again, many cults have sprung up as a result of preaching and teaching a different Jesus than the Orthodox Jesus of the Scriptures. And this damning, it's it's an eternal mistake. The evidence is there to investigate. The claims... Of the scriptures. And that's one of the things I like about 1 Thessalonians, and we talked about this in our background information, is it's a strong apologetic book in that it gives a lot of evidence to support that these scriptures that are being put forth are solid in evidence. And those external evidences, all they do is come alongside of what we already know is true, thus saith the Lord. And so. We find here as we look into the establishing here coming of the wrath of God. Why was the wrath of God going to fall upon these people? Well, because they were persecuting, because they were rejecting the, the, uh, those that were bringing God's truth. Notice what happens. Paul's telling those in Thessalonica. He says, look, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath, has come upon them to the uttermost. Hmm. What's Paul saying? He said, look, this is contrary to God and, God and man. I mean, look, the Christian message, you know, there's, there's some byproducts to, uh, to, to life-changing transformation when, when you get on board and you're wholeheartedly serving the Lord. But... At the end of the day, when, when these people in Thessalonica were stirring up problems and they ran Paul out of town, and, and then they end up, you know, dragging Jason and the folks of the church house down to the Politarchs and, and the city, those city rulers, I mean, they're, they're, they're wanting blood. And what was their claim? They, they preach another king, they're teaching another king. They're not they're, they're going against King Caesar. They're saying this Jesus is king. They were double-tongued in, in, in all that they were doing. And yet they drag them down to those city officials. And Paul's saying, look, Jason, 
you other believers there at Thessalonica, it's no different than what they did to Jesus. It's no different than what they did to the prophets. Church, can I tell you, if you allow the Word of God to truly transform your life, and you become focused in your service to the Lord, you become surrendered in your, in your service to the Lord, you will see persecution. You will face opposition. You will begin to swim upstream, if you will. And that's a lot tougher swim than going with the flow. I remember when I was a brand new believer, and I just, man, two weeks into it, I was ready to turn in my, my Christian badge, because, boy, I tell you, it was hard. What in the world? My life is just in a, in, a, in a tornado. And I remember going to that pastor and sitting down. And I said, Pastor, I, I don't understand it. I mean, I'm just, it seems like everything in my world is just crumbling. I mean, it's just, man, it is tough. And I'm having this woe and this problem. And it just seems like everything under the sun that could go wrong is going wrong in my life. He started laughing. Not exactly the kind of, you know, uh, counsel I want from my pastor to laugh at my problems. <laughs> And I remember he started laughing at me, and I was taken back. And he said, I, he said I'm sorry, Jeremy. He says, do you know why I'm laughing? I uh, know. I'd really like to know, though. He said, let me ask you a question. Did you have this problem two weeks ago? Did you have this problem a month ago? He said, of course not. He said, you see, Jeremy, less than two weeks ago, when you repented and believed in Jesus Christ, you changed directions. You see, you were one of Satan's friends. In fact, you were probably doing a lot of the bidding of Satan. You was a tool for the devil. <laughs> he didn't exactly say it like that, but that's what he meant. And he was right. I was going with the flow. Man, that's easy to go downstream in this world. But when I repented and received Christ as my Lord and Savior... That meant now it was time to take up my cross as a disciple. And follow after Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I read the scriptures, the road that Jesus walked was a hard road. He did nothing but love, serve, and yet he was ridiculed and spit upon and mocked and sought after to be killed. Why would we expect as followers of Christ, anything different. Our road's going to be tough, especially if we're surrendered. You don't hear those invitations, do you? I was talking to Brian and, and Remick this week. You know, can you imagine if I stood up in the church and gave an invitation and said, all right, for those of you who, who want to suffer persecution, for those of you who want to be mocked and ridiculed and made fun of for your stand for Christ... For those of you who potentially want to lose a job or lose your best friend or a family member to back out of supporting you, would you please come and receive Christ at this time? Probably wouldn't have a lot of takers, would we? And yet, sometimes that's exactly what it means. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it does. And Paul's saying to these Thessalonican believers, he's trying to encourage them, he's saying, look guys, it's okay. You're imitating. You're doing just like the church did over here when they suffered. And you know what suffering and persecution can do to you? It can strengthen you. Listen to this in regards to suffering. 
at the Nicene Council, an important church meeting in the 4th century A.D., for those of you who aren't aware of what it was, of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12, fewer than 12 of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their Christian faith. We don't know what it is to suffer for our stand for Christ. We really don't. You know, I know this week in the news, they spoke of the Iranian pastor who's to be put to death. I haven't heard if that's happened yet. We don't know. And yet we struggle with living for Christ. Paul is saying, look, I thank God for you Thessalonians. Because the Word of God changed your life. It transformed your life. And that rejoices my heart. To know that you Thessalonican believers have allowed the Word of God to not just be heard, but to be heeded, to change you. And and now you're imitating that church. You're you're following in the footsteps of Christ and the prophets and and, and Paul and, and Yet these who are persecuting are simply storing up wrath for that day of judgment. And ultimately, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. That's what's happening here. Notice in the text, he says... Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, that they may be saved. You see, Paul came into Thessalonica preaching the gospel with boldness, with gentleness, knowing that this is the message that that they needed to hear to save their souls. And yet, there are many that wanted to forbid that message from being taught. We talked Wednesday night about in Acts. Go back and look, chapter 4. And you see where Peter and John were forbidden. Stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And what did they do? They went back to the church. They hit their knees and they prayed. And God shook the place and they went out of there with boldness proclaiming God's truth. Church, we talked about Wednesday night. For those of you who were unable to be here, for those of you that, that did come, thank you for, being at, for coming. And, and we talked about a new visionary step for this church, and you'll be hearing more about it, Lord willing, in in the month ahead. But we've got a responsibility to take the Word of God to this community. The results are not up to us, but we have to be faithful to the call. And one of the things that we're going to try and do is to go with boldness and go with gentleness. And there's many aspects to this outreach where everyone can be involved. And we need everyone to be involved. You say, well, I'm not about to go out and knock on some door. That's fine. You don't have to knock on a door. There's many phases to this. And again, we'll look at some of these. But basically, you've got a front line that's going and sharing the gospel and taking brochures and inviting folks and asking them, can we just pray for you? 
can we pray for your family? Community Baptist Church wants to be known in this community. We want, we want you to know that we're a church that cares. Would it be okay if we prayed for you by name for the next 30 days? And at that point, if they're okay with that, we'll take their name, we'll bring back those prospect sheets, we'll pass those on to our prayer team. I need prayer team, people. This will include my shut-ins. We're unable to be here. What a great ministry now they can be active in on a daily basis. And we'll have a prayer sheet. And for 30 days, those names will be lifted up by name every day being prayed for. God knows their needs. We'll have 12 prayer warriors. That that sheet will rotate. So actually, they'll end up being prayed for for not just 30 days, but for a whole year. And so that prayer touch will begin to take place. We also have another team that will, will also follow up once every six, four to six weeks with a simple card. Just wanted you to know we've been praying for you. Can you imagine getting a card from a church that just visited your house four weeks ago, six weeks ago? You'd forgotten about it. They hadn't forgotten about you. We also talked about how we'll also have, uh, for those who give us their number, we'll have a phone touch ministry where once every 10 weeks they can just get one simple, short phone call. Just want to touch base again. See how things are. Can I pray with you? We also spoke about the other alert touch. Some of you, maybe you'll serve on that. You love looking at the newspaper. Well, guess what? You can look at the newspaper and you'll have a list of names of those we're praying for, for those we've made contact with. Hey, look, there's Johnny. Johnny was arrested. Better get this to the pastor. He does prison ministry. I'll go visit Johnny at the jail. Because it may take a circumstance like that to get Johnny's attention. Hey, Johnny got a promotion. He's head of cell block C. I'm no, just kidding. Johnny got a promotion at his work. We'll write him a card. Congratulations, Johnny. Praying for you. Do you see how this can have an effect on our community and impact them being both bold and gentle as Paul was with the Thessalonians? He said, I invested my life into you. I poured my life into you. We're pouring our life into our community by doing something of this nature. And most importantly, we're being faithful to what God has commanded us and commissioned us to do, to take the gospel to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other ends of the earth. And there's other phases that, again, we'll, we'll look into, you know, but, but we need prayer for this, guys. This is real stuff. This is the difference between hearing the Word of God and heeding the Word of God. And we can do this by God's grace, by God's strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for that. Will you pray for that? Because I can assure you, when we step out in faith to do something for God, when I read these pages, when I look at what God has just told us through His Word, persecution will arise. And we need to be ready. And we need to identify. Because here's what happens in a church. I don't think a lot of people realize what happens in a church. Sometimes as a pastor, you can kind of step back and see 
what's really going on. But sometimes in the midst of the fog, we don't see what's going on. And so what happens is I get mad at sister so-and-so or I get upset with brother so-and-so. And so we start to, you know, and, and it becomes divisive. And, and I don't like this because they want to do that. And, 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 you know, and we just get our guns on each other. And that's just one tactic that the enemy oftentimes uses. Look at Nehemiah, rebuilding of the wall. They were getting ready to rebuild the wall. You understand what I'm saying here? Church, we're getting ready to rebuild the walls here. We're getting ready to get back to what God has called us to get back to. And yet in the Nehemiah account, not only were there enemies from without, but eventually there was enemies within. We've got to guard our heart. We've got to guard our minds. Sometimes we've got to step back from the emotion of what may come into our life and recognize it for what it is. That's not my enemy. That's my brother. That's not my enemy. That's my sister. God, help me love my brother, love my sister in the power of Christ. These are... Things we need to be aware of. But we will, just as the case here with the Thessalonians, potentially suffer persecution. But it's nothing strange. It's happened before. And we need to be imitators of those Judean believers and those Thessalonican believers. So, Paul continues. And notice now the wreath of God. Verses 17 through 20. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. And that's where we believe maybe perhaps uh, he was. Jason was told, all right, we'll accept your pledge in this case, but Paul's not to come back in this town. May be an answer for that. Whatever the reason, be it supernatural, hindrance, whatever, uh, the bottom line is Paul time and again, he wanted to, but Satan hindered. For what is our hope? Notice what Paul says here in verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. You know, Paul says, look, I was, I'm physically gone from you. I'm over here in Corinth. I'm physically gone, but not spiritually. In my heart of hearts, you're on my heart. You're on my mind. He's longing for them. He's just used these two illustrations previously in the text. He talked about like a mother nurturing, like a father exhorting. You see that that relational aspect, and there's great insight for us as a church in the relational aspect, one to another. And I can assure you, as Paul writes, and as a pastor, having that, that heart for the sheep is likened to a spiritual father and mother. I know, when Paul writes this, I know I can empathize with what Paul's saying. He says, hope, joy, crown. He uses these words. What is his hope? What is his joy? What is that crown? 
He says, it's you. At the presence of the Lord's coming. You see, I can tell you, church, as your pastor, there is no greater joy. Apostle John said this. There's no greater joy than to hear, to know that my children walk in truth. You know what your pastor longs for in this church? is for us to walk in truth. To not just hear it, but to heed it. To turn from those idols. To allow and recognize for what it is, the truth, the Word of God, to sink into a level that it transforms my life. The way I think, the way I live, the way I treat others. The way I do, it becomes my all-consuming passion. The Word of God. It's everything to me. Because it's life. It's living. It's transforming. It'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you act. The way you live. If we'll heed it. And Paul says, look, you Thessalonican believers, I long to be with you. I desire to be Satan's hindered. But you know what? What my greatest joy is, the, the, the thing I rejoice at is that one day you are my crown and one day we'll stand in the presence of the second coming of the Lord. We'll stand in the presence of God. There's no greater joy than to hear, to know that you walk in truth. Again, I, I, look, I'm thankful, very thankful today. I, I've got two former students of mine here. And and I can tell you, it thrills my soul to know that some of the ones that God has entrusted to my shepherding walk in truth. And you've met folks, they've come and they've visited with us. And I can tell you, as a pastor, Pastor Dean, you know what I'm talking about. There's no greater joy in knowing that, that people are desiring to live for God, to want to wholeheartedly serve God wherever they are. And church member, that's what God's calling all of us to do, is to, wherever He's got you, whatever workplace, wherever you are in your family, whatever He's called you to do or where you're at, do unto the Lord. Walk in truth. Live for Him. And so Paul says that to those Thessalonican believers. You are our glory and joy. In closing, I'll say this. Paul basically is telling them, and I tell you, he says, you've received the Word of God. You welcomed it. And my prayer, community, is that when we come into this building, when we gather together, whenever you're at home and you open up the Word of God, that we all receive it, that we welcome it for what it is. God-breathed, life-changing, transforming, if we'll heed it. But you know, I wonder this morning... Perhaps somebody's here and 
Truth be known, you're rejecting it. You don't consider it maybe blatantly rejecting it. But you know, even there in Thessalonica, not everybody heeded. In fact, it made quite a number of them angry. And you know what? When we share truth with folks, sometimes it'll make them angry. And some of you today, you may disagree with what's been shared, but I can assure you, it is what it is. It's the truth. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And He has the ability, He has the power, He has the means to transform your life, to save your soul from hell, to give you an eternal hope, Change your destiny. The question is, will you receive this message for what it is, God's truth, or will you reject it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for giving me the strength to be able to get through it. Father, I I pray now as we enter into this portion of the service where we just sort of close up some thoughts and think about what we have heard. And Lord, I pray that we would heed it. That we would heed this message. Father, perhaps there is someone here today. They'll be honest before you. They've never embraced the Jesus of the Scriptures. We've all been guilty of creating a God in our image, one that suits our needs or one that maybe we prefer, maybe even one that traditionally has been taught to us. But there's only one true living God. And just as these Thessalonians turned from the false gods to the true and living God, Lord, would you search the pews? Would you search the hearts of anyone listening via the radio? And if there be any person who has never repented and believed in the Jesus Christ of Scripture, that they would turn today and receive the forgiveness of sin that can only be found in Him and Him alone. Lord, you do what only you can do. Salvation's of the Lord. Perhaps even now you're dealing with someone's heart to come to Christ. As God does His work in your heart, I ask the saints to be praying. Nobody looking around. Pastor, I don't, I don't know this Jesus. But I want my sin forgiven. I want to know Him. I want Him to know me. I want to have a relationship with the God of creation. The one who gave His life to pay the sin debt I owe. That's you. Would you raise your hand? Nobody looking around. I want to know him. Pastor, I want to know him.
Just slip your hand up and pull it, put it back down. Nobody looking. I need to know this Jesus. Father, you know the heart of every man and woman here. You know the heart of every listener via the radio. And Lord, my prayer is that your word would have its way. And that it would not just be heard, but that it be heeded. And we will give you the glory because you and you alone can transform lives. And for that, we're grateful. Help us to be, Lord, a cause for joy and rejoicing and a crown as a church for your glory. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.